Welcome. Good morning. Let's stand and sing and praise God together.
Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. Still in a world full of sin and destruction and just people doing dumb things. Help us, Father. Give us guidance and wisdom. Help us to learn to look to you for stability and strength and endurance. We live in a world characterized by our own sin and instabilities. Give us hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning. Good to have you here today. Glad you've chosen to worship with us. Before I forget, we have a birthday boy with us today. 
our favorite, Nate Dean, had a birthday this week, and he's not 40 yet, but he's pushing it. Let's sing happy birthday to him. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Nate. Happy birthday to Continue to sing and praise God together. Please stand if you're able. Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus. Thank you. 
that we just take for granted every day. We thank you, Father, for just being us, being with us in hard times. And we ask, Father, in the days ahead that you be with our church and take these tithes and offerings down and use them in the way that you see fit. In your son Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Nate. Appreciate that. Pretty good for a birthday boy. We do appreciate Nate and all of his gifts he brings here. Open your Bibles with me this morning, the book of Revelation, still chapter 2, and still in our series, Letters to the Seven Churches. And amazingly, these old letters written to churches 2,000 years ago are every bit as relevant and meaningful today as they were when they were written. Jesus speaking through John, Revelation chapter 2, dealing with the church at Pergamum, still dealing with teachings and false teachings and things that challenge Christians of all ages, Revelation chapter 2, hold your places if you would. As always, we pray for our church and our culture. We've had some scary things happen the last couple of weeks. The potential for more things like that this week. Pray for peace. Pray for better thoughts and actions. And pray that God's people would calm down. And that those who are in the crowd would calm down. And learn that there are better ways to air your differences. Pray for peace. Appropriate song, Nate. Thank you. As always, pray for Nick and Renee Morris. Irma. Miller and others that are going through difficult times, pray for them too. I'll give you a few moments of silent prayer. I'll close and then we'll look at these passages together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your presence and for your word which teaches us to work for peace. You taught us that we are to be peacemakers. Help us in that endeavor, Father. Help us to work for peace in our daily relationships, in our encounters out and about, and at work and at home. Help us to choose our words wisely, to restrain our actions to always keep our emotions from getting out of control. We pray, Father, for the spirit of self-control. We pray for the ability to speak with wisdom, to love others, to focus on those things that are good, to resist the temptation to judge others. Help us, Father. As always, we know that there are those in our congregation who struggle some with long-term illnesses, 
others with severe injuries, terminal situations. Be with these people, Father, and give them hope. Comfort their families. As always, we pray for our soldiers and first responders. Keep them safe. Use them to bring peace and justice and to save lives. Give them comfort and hope and protection. We pray, Father, for this nation of ours. We struggle against so many things. Help us. This week, as we inaugurate a new leader, help us to stand together in spite of our differences. We pray, Father, for strength and hope and a healing. As always, Father, we thank you for the good things in this life. We recognize that if it's worth having, it is gift from you. Thank you. Food and clothing, living in a safe place. Thank you, Father. We thank you especially for this life that is in Jesus, for a faith that never fails us, for scriptures that teach and guide us and comfort us, embolden us and give us hope, for a faith that gives us hope even in death. We thank you for all these things, Father. We honor you with worship and with our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isn't it amazing how people can learn? They don't have to go to school to learn. Sometimes you can just watch people and learn profound lessons. There's a guy named Mr. Rogers. Remember him? Anybody watch that show or with your kids and grandkids? Great guy, Presbyterian minister, you know that. Did pretty dramatic things, appeal very calm, low-key, he did one thing in 1969, and I never watched Mr. Rogers. I never could stop long enough and never went inside long enough to watch TV during the day. But, but I, I did remember this episode, and it's been played over and over on YouTube. And what happened was he would have guests come on the show, just different people in life, politicians and leaders and such, and he would talk to them and have a little lesson, and then they'd go on about their business. One day he had an officer, Officer Clemens. You may not remember this, but he was a black man, African-American. And it was at a time in 1969 when our nation was in an uproar about racial tensions, as it has been so often. In those days, blacks and whites could not swim together in public. It was against the law. Racist, yes, but part of our American history, an odd thing we did. But one day he had Officer Clemens, and Officer Clemens came in, and it was a hot, sunny day on the show, and Mr. Rogers was sitting there with his feet, no shoes, no socks, feet in a tub of cool water. Mr. Clemens came in, the officer in his suit, and came in and was obviously hot and sweaty and complained to Mr. Rogers about how hot it was. And Mr. Rogers did the unthinkable. He asked this black man, well, why don't you take off your shoes and socks and sit with me and sit with your feet in this cool water? Maybe that'll help you. So he did. No fanfare. He just took off his shoes and socks. Can you imagine an adult doing that on TV? Took off his shoes and socks, sat there, and they just had a nice little chat about nothing, really. And then when Mr. Clemens was done, he said he had to get back on the beat. Mr. Rogers handed him his towel, and he dried off his feet, put on his shoes and socks, and walked away. 
As Mr. Rogers continued to talk, he took that same towel that the black man had used to dry his own feet and dried his feet. To every kid watching, it was no big deal. His feet were wet too, no big deal. But to every adult that watched it, they knew how significant that was. And kids learned that day, not a big lesson, but a life-transforming lesson. Not a lot of words there. You share. You treat people well. And if they look different, so. Pretty good lesson, wasn't it? By actions. He did not preach a sermon that day with his words. But it was a powerful message, wasn't it? Don't you wish that people could learn to learn and that people could learn to teach with their actions. In fact, I've thought about this over the week, that what he did was teach an entire generation of children that there are crucial lessons that can be demonstrated just in the course of good relationships and a few well-chosen words. Wouldn't it be great if there was some kind of organization that would just teach those good things? If you could find a group of people who would agree on some things and teach those things everywhere they went. I wish I could say that governments could do that, but governments normally can't agree on good and bad and right and wrong and evil and those kinds of things. Civic organizations tend to come and go. But there is one organization, isn't there? The church. Think about this. I've often said that the church is the greatest educational organization in human history. I still believe it. In every generation, the church teaches what is right and true. Sometimes certain segments of the churches fail. But generally speaking, for 2,000 years, a church, wherever it has landed, has taught good and moral and spiritual truths, regardless of language, regardless of color, regardless of people groups. It's what the church does. The fact is, if you look around the world where missionaries have impacted the culture, what they've done is teach Christian teachings, Christian morality, not just biblical truth, but biblical lifestyles. So when you think, I just wish there were a group of people who would teach the truth, there is a group of people who teach truth. Sometimes they mess up, but typically the church does a pretty good job. Jesus knew this. So when he wrote these letters to the seven churches and he penned these through John and he used John to tell these stories, what he was doing is teaching his church how to be the church. He wasn't just addressing specific situations. He was doing that, but he was addressing the situation in every church encounters. The fact is, as you read these letters and you hopefully listen to these sermons, you'll see that every church at some time is one of the seven churches, sometimes more than others, but through the life of a church that exists, every one of them will go through some of these experiences. So every letter is relevant and pertinent to us today. So today we're going to look in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and read about the church in Pergamum. Follow along if you would, Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17. Jesus speaking, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The one who has a sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, 
Because you have there, soon behold, the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Thus you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. So the church of Pergamum, again, probably not a single congregation, but a collection of congregations. Pergamum was, a little bit of history here, about 120,000, so another good-sized city on the Mediterranean Sea. Beautiful place to live, wealthy, well-populated. The beautiful people lived here, much like the other cities we've talked about. The church usually went to large cities first because you got more bang for your buck, in other words. You could send a missionary to a village of 20 people, and there's nothing wrong with that. Or you could send a missionary to a city of 100,000 and probably reach more. So they did the same things that we do today. So they were there in Pergamum, multiple congregations, a little bit about the city. It was um, a city focused on religious worship. And there were all kinds of religions there. There were Jewish synagogues. There were churches. There were temples of Dionysius, and that was a, a Roman faith that was based on sexual practices. And there was one that was based on emperor worship of Augustus. We talked about that last week. And then there was this other one, a, a temple built to Asclepius. Now, Asclepius was a doctor. You don't need to know much about this guy, except he was a faith healer. Now, you may not know that, but in every culture, regardless of religious persuasion, there have been faith healers. Sometimes they're hucksters. And they're faint, phony. And sometimes, for some reason, certain people have a gift of healing. And Asclepius did. And he performed legitimate healings. He did some surgeries in a time when they didn't do many surgeries. And he developed some ways of helping people calm down in life. And this was one of the most famous cults in the world. And had a wide following. And literally, tens of thousands of people across the Roman government practiced this faith and we're at the Asclepian temple. And it was of a bizarre faith based on the workings of this doctor. And this is what he would do. He would have you come in, and this was group healing practices. Just going to give you a little bit of background here. People would come in desperate, not good doctors. He would have them as a group come in, and he would give them wine laced with heroin and cocaine, and they would smoke some pot and hash and those kinds of things. So you think we invented that nonsense? No. Everybody did it in ancient cultures, and it was acceptable in ancient cultures. And he would get everybody literally stoned. And then you know what they'd do? They'd eat some munchies, eat some Twinkies maybe, then they'd take a nap. And they would sleep all night long on the floor. Now, the deal was... What he would do during the day as they were getting high, he would talk to them about dreams and visions and how the spirits would come and speak to you and got them primed for sleeping. He also said, now some of you may feel something tonight. And what he would do sometimes is let snakes loose. And the snakes would crawl over these people who were in their stoned slumber no one thought it odd, I don't know why, but anyway, it worked, and there were multiple cases of healings and people feeling better and going on about their business. So anyway, this was a huge deal because this didn't come free. 
So there was a lot of money to be made in faith healings. Asclepius was fabulously wealthy. He actually was a pretty good guy, and he really did want to help people, and he could help people. But anyway, that was one of the things that the Christian church was up against, because what was going on, those people that went to the Asclepian temple and the Dionysian temple and the temple to the worship of Augustus, guess what was happening? Well, they were getting saved, and they were going to church. And what was happening was they took all these teachings that were done by the beautiful people, and they brought him into the church. And this is what was going on. So what was happening is that the Jesus was trying to teach the churches that one of their goals, you can see this on screen, is the idea that they are to teach and demonstrate the value of godly teachings. In other words, the church is not just a place where people get saved and learn to feel good about themselves. That's part of it. One of the roles of the church, and this is that teaching role, is that God's people were not only to learn the truth, but they were to demonstrate the truth, and sometimes they were to fight for the truth. And fight didn't necessarily mean physical fight. It meant discussion and debate and Bible study and things like that, and they were to contend for the true faith. So this is what Jesus was asking the church to do. So in our passage, you can see on screen, look at verse 13 again if you would. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. So Jesus looked at this city, listen to this, a beautiful, peaceful city full of very religious, educated people. They were good people all. And he said, this is where the evil one lives. He goes, this is where Satan dwells. This is ground zero for the work of the evil one. So there's a perspective that we might need to catch from Jesus that you can't always judge a book by its cover. Sometimes, yes. But if you look at a good city or you look at a good people and they're nice people and they're well-moneyed and they bathe and they shave and, and they look nice and they are nice and they, they pick up their dog's poo and all those things, they're good neighbors, that doesn't necessarily mean they follow the life of Jesus, does it? The fact that they go to church doesn't even necessarily mean they follow Jesus faithfully. Because what was going on was, in the church, all these people were bringing all these, what Jesus said were evil teachings. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus did not say they were evil people. But he said their teachings were evil. This is the throne of Satan. So there was a lot going on in the church that was evil. And he mentioned one thing in, in verse 13 mentioned a man named Antipas. Now, what did hap happen to Antipas? My witness, my faith one, who was killed among you. So in this city of tolerant, loving, multi-religious people, there was severe persecution. One Christian was murdered for his faith. So this wasn't necessarily a good place to be Christian. Because think about it. Christianity teaches that there is one God, that there is one way to know God through Jesus, and that all other faiths are false faiths. I mean, that's the official teaching right out of Jesus' mouth. And so all these people, good, nice people, who were practicing all these other faiths, well, they didn't like to hear this nonsense about Jesus, so they killed one of them just to shut him up. Predictably, what the effect on the church was, the Christians backed it off a notch. They killed one, they'll kill more. Because remember... Christians were in the vast minority there. And as we've seen in our own culture, sometimes even good people 
can do incredibly evil things when someone gets them worked up. That's what happens, isn't it? And this is what was going on in this city. Now, if you would, he goes on and talks about this city, talks about, in verse 14, teachings of Balaam, meats that are sacrificed to idols and acts of immorality. Balaam was an ancient pagan faith based on a lot of sexual things, sexual practices. They often had sensual, sexual worship services where they do all sorts of sexual things and slaughter animals and then they would eat that meat. And what was going on was those Christians were still attending those services. You see, they had done this all their lives. Following Jesus meant getting rid of all your old habits. And they weren't able to do that, particularly because the beautiful people were there. He calls them Nicolaitans in verse 15. Uses the idea of immorality. Interesting word about immorality it comes from the word pornaya, where we get our word pornography. In ancient culture, pornaya, that term, was a catch-all for any kind of sexual immorality or any kind of sexual practices that weren't Christian. So think about it. The Christian concept of human sexuality is really very simple. Man and woman are created to be together. They get married, and they have a sexual relationship. Everything else is outside of God's teachings. Now, that doesn't mean they're bad people, but it means what they're doing isn't in essentially what God wants them to do. And so they were teaching that. Well, the Dionysian cult was based on sexual practices in worship with temple priests. So the church was caving in because, again, the beautiful people were doing this. And by the way, when you think about it, isn't it more important, and I'm being facetious here, isn't it more important that people get along in that instead of believing the truth. That's a trick, isn't it? We think unity is more important than anything. That's not what scriptures teach. Scriptures teach that unity in the context of biblical truth. And it doesn't mean you have to fight people and be mean to them, but it does mean that the goal of Christianity is to teach Christian truth. Whether or not it makes people mad isn't the issue. When you confront people in their sin or you challenge people in their teaching, God always wants to be gracious and kind. Dave was right when he quoted the golden rule, treat people like you want to be treated. But Jesus fully expected the church to confront false teaching and the Nicolaitans and the worship in Dionysus and Asclepius and all those other places, those were against biblical teachings. So on screen, we're going to see several truths here that we can glean, and I know I don't have a lot of time. Verse 14, truths from Jesus' word to Pergamum, biblical teachings are important and at the heart of a life blessed by God. So in verse 14, when Jesus points out their problems, he says, you're not standing for biblical truth. See, that's what was going on. They weren't fighting because they'd been silenced by crowd persuasion and and the threat of death from persecution and all those kinds of things. And so they were just saying, you know, it's just more important that we all get along instead of teach truth. And Jesus said, no. Unity isn't more important than truth. Truth is every bit as important as unity. Something we might want to apply to our own culture. Another thing, if we can go to the next screen. God expects us to teach and demonstrate biblical truths. So the church, good people... We're in the church. Some were teaching false truths. Others were allowing false teachers to do something and to teach something that wasn't Christian, and they knew it. And so he was saying, listen, you need to repent. 
Repent was not a religious word. Repent means turn around. So Christians that were tolerating false teachings were told, you need to turn around, you need to start challenging this false teaching. Wasn't talking about good people versus bad people. Sometimes we think that way. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Truth versus false teaching. False morality, false beliefs about God. The idea that there were multiple gods and multiple ways to reach those different gods was unbiblical and unchristian. The idea that you can do whatever you want as long as you bathe it in religious language was untruth and not Christian and so on and so forth. So Jesus was telling his people, listen, I love you. You've been faithful here, but you're beginning to fail because you're not standing for the truth. And then the last one on screen, God's judgment or blessings come according to our response to his teachings. In other words, the life you lead and what it bears out is shaped by how you respond to God's leadership. Jesus didn't say what his judgment would do. It would come from the sword of his mouth. But judgment from God is always a bad thing. Sometimes God's judgment comes when he allows you to suffer the consequences of your actions. Sometimes God does specific things to punish us, to maybe chasten us. And I don't know how to discern the two, you know, to be honest with you. But we know Jesus took this very seriously. There are almost zero questions among the scholarly world that these were letters from the mouths of Jesus. So if Jesus' words mean anything to you, we need to hear this. And then he did say this about the reward. Look at verse 17. To him who overcomes, Christians that are faithful, I will give some of the hidden manna, and that's a reference to the Old Testament sustenance that God gave. So Jesus is promising to sustain Christians who teach the truth. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. This is a reference to a practice in the first century culture of wearing amulets around your neck. And you know what? Those are big stones. And in ancient culture, you would get a stone and you would go sometimes to a store or to a religious place and get a stone and they would write an inscription on it. And it was considered a, a gift of honor and something from the gods. And so Jesus was using their understanding and saying, listen, What's going to happen is he wasn't promising a literal amulet. He's saying, listen, I'm going to give you blessings that are only meaningful to you and no one else will know. So the white stone was the image of an amulet with a promise from Jesus himself to the wearer. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to bless you in a very personal way and no one else will know it. But between you and me, I will bless you. A very special promise there if you remember who's saying it. When you get a special gift from someone special, and it's just for you, it has special meaning. Jesus is promising Christians, if you follow me, if you stand for truth, if you're faithful, I will bless you and you alone in a way that changes your life. So there's something we can hang our lives upon. God blesses us. God loves us. But he calls us to teach truth. And to stand for truth, no matter what. On screen is one final idea. God calls us to embrace and teach the truths in his word and keep false teachings out of the church. And when we do this, God's blessings can be ours. So the church of every age has to consider what is popular in our culture is it consistent with biblical truth. So we have to discern what biblical truth is. And then sometimes in the church, you have to contend for the faith and challenge false teachers. And when you do that, you honor God 
and you demonstrate to people around you that as Christians we take biblical truth seriously. Jesus calls each of us, individuals and churches, to do this very thing. So this week, let me challenge you, consider what your church teaches, consider what you believe, and make sure that the life you live demonstrates the truth that you say you believe. So if you believe something but your actions don't bear it out, then you need to confront yourself, don't you? Why don't you stand with me, and Nate's going to come and lead us. Make this decision to follow Jesus and demonstrate your faith with your life. Nate? Thank you, Nate. Andy's going to... Mike, older version. <laughs> Mike's going to come and lead us in a closing prayer. Uh, remember that in a couple weeks we have deacons meeting and business meetings. Hope you can come. That's two weeks from today. Just continue to pray for our church and for our nation and for the rollout of the vaccine and so many other things. Just pray that God will help us this week. Andy? Mike. You look like him. That's it. Just now as we go, be after, look after our church, and keep protect us this week from harm. And Father, help us to do a good deed for someone else this week. Help us to do it in the name of Jesus. Amen.